you can grab a seat and check this out. I'm Tony Lepore. They call me the Dancing Cop. I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. I've been directing traffic my way for 27 years. I was kind of bored one day, and plus, I can dance and sing, and I always wanted to be an entertainer when I was younger. And I just did a couple of spins and some hand movements, and the people loved it. I think it would be more of a distraction if I was in a different town and they didn't know I was out there, but mostly Providence. They even know me by my, the sound of my whistle. How are you? Uh, you gonna dance? She comes to see me every every winter. She comes down to see me. It's all rhythm, or I'll go and interrupt it with one of these. Or if, like I told you before, my hands are tied up and I can't, I'll give them one of these. <laughs> Beautiful, right? Beautiful. Man, there's just, there's something wonderful about seeing someone who loves their job. Man, it, it's, it's a really fun thing to see uh, when someone is really just in the spot that they need to be, perform the task that they need to perform, given the task that they want to accomplish. It's something that's amazing. It's something that we love to see. We love to pe- see people like Pony out in Rhode Island. It sounds like I don't, I don't know what that was, but he's, it's beautiful to see people like that. It's something that we love to see in our lives, and yet what's so sad is that we often see it, but we fail to experience it, right? It's this awesome glimpse of what, almost of what work was meant to be, right? When we see someone loving their job and working in that way, it's, it almost seems to be a, a glimpse, just a hint of, of how work was designed to function, how work should ideally be. And yet it's something that we see and fail to experience. Many of us, just because of the stage of life you're in right now, I'd be willing to bet the vast majority of us have yet to be in a job that we just love. Right? That's why many of us, we're not necessarily walking into our classrooms with just a big old grin, blowing our whistle. Uh, you could try it, that would be fun. Uh, when a lot of us aren't walking into our part-time jobs or our internships, like dancing around and giving people one of these if your hands are full. Like, that's not a thing that a lot of us do. Why? Because we often find ourselves in those jobs, in those positions, in those, in those tasks that we don't necessarily want to do. We find ourselves accomplishing tasks for people that maybe we don't necessarily respect, people we don't necessarily want to please. We've had bosses and supervisors that are frustrating or, or selfish or incompetent in our eyes. So we don't want to do the work. We don't want to perform the task. We don't want to accomplish the goal. So what do we do in those moments when work seems less than ideal? This semester, over the next five weeks, we're looking at the role, at the the cohesion between faith and work. We're looking at faith and work, and how they mesh, how they work together, because we often consider them to be disconnected when they are, in fact, deeply integrated with one another. No goal can be set without faith, and no goal can be accomplished without work. That's why God has told us, has commanded us through Scripture, that it's only by faith, it's only by faith that we can work for both the good of others and the glory of God. 
Last week, we looked at that perceived disconnection. We looked at this, what kind of has factored into our understanding of work that, that we somehow think that they need to be separated when, in fact, they don't need to be separated at all. And this morning, what we're doing is we're taking the next step. We're not looking anymore at what that kind of disconnect uh, was caused by or how it came about or how we can reconnect. Instead, what we're doing is we're looking at God's original design for work because it's a lot closer to Tony than it is to many of us. We're looking at God's design for work where Scripture tells us that work was meant to be beautiful, is meant to be balanced, and is meant to bring glory to God himself. Last week we began uh, looking at the disconnect between faith and work in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, after Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they had, they had committed uh, a wrong. They, they went outside of the Lord's will. They ate of fruit that God told them not to eat. And therefore the ground became cursed, right? And work became difficult. That was the first step towards us kind of disconnecting work from God. And we're not going to get that far this morning. Instead, we're going before that, when Adam and Eve are still in paradise, when Eden is still this untainted land, this beautiful cradle of civilization. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. If you have a Bible or have a nap, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're going to be there a lot this morning. But Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1, shows us God during the time of the Garden of Eden. It says, The heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. And by the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. And he ceased on the seventh day all the work that he had been doing. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. So, Whether or not you hold to the days in Genesis being 24 hours or whether or not you think that they're longer, what we see in Scripture is this presentation of a week. We see a week presented. And what we see in that week, that week of creation, what we see is God working. Right? God worked all week until the seventh day when he was finished, when he was able to rest, when he was able to cease his work and instead make that day holy. The biblical understanding of holiness is that it is something that is distinct and separate from the rest. It's something that's set apart for a special purpose. God says, I worked all week, and so this final day I'm setting apart to be something special. The world was created in a typical work week. That's what we see. And what we see in that week, in that original work week, the first one of all creation, what we see is that God is is working in a way that that is full and diverse. In chapter 1, if we went back and and read it, we would see uh, the verbiage used, the the language used to describe God's creation of the world is is wonderful. It's so diverse. It it says that he separates, he, he makes, he gathers, he places, and he creates everything in the world. And then God creates man, right? On the sixth day, God created man, and and shortly thereafter, woman. And he he brought them together, humanity as a whole, and he says, I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you work. And so if we went back, we looked in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we would see that God sets up Adam and Eve, the first humans of all time, of all creation. He sets them up with a job. And he gives them a job that is full and diverse, If we read chapters 1 and 2, we would see language like him telling them to to rule 
over things, to be fruitful, to multiply, to, to fill, to subdue, to cultivate, and to keep the world. All of creation was put under their reign, under their care. They were called to care for all of creation, which is a little intimidating, right? It's why a lot of times we even, uh, I think, get confused as to why Eve showed up in the first place. Many times when we read the creation account, we see Adam and Eve brought together where, where God put Adam to, to sleep and he pulled out his rib and he formed Eve to come and, and be a helper suitable for him. A lot of times when we talk about that, we're like, well, yeah, because, you know, Adam was like, who, he was just like talking to squirrels. And that stinks, right? Hey, squirrel. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> That's weird. Like, why... So he needed someone to be with him, right? He needed some company. That's a lot of times how we present it. That's the way that we look at that passage. We say like, oh yeah, well he needed a helper, a helpmate. A helper, not meaning that someone that like serves you, uh, but a helper in the same way that the Holy Spirit is our current helper. One who comes alongside of you and works next to you. And yet even as we talk about that helperness and even as we talk about like, yeah, you're, you're working alongside each other, we still in the back of our minds assume though, well yeah, but you know, number one priority, like they're there to just like kind of hang out the whole like fruitful thing, you know, like that's kind of how we see it, which is I think missing a big part of why God created humanity to live in community. When we see Adam given all these roles, all these jobs, when he says, I want you to keep the world, how could anyone do that on his own? Eve was brought into the picture. They were told to be fruitful and multiply, not just so that there could be more people that God could look at and that could glorify him. That's not the only reason. There was a huge factor in the sense that Adam needed help because there was a large task at hand. Eve was brought into the picture. She was put on earth. She was brought to be with Adam to be a helper for the work that he had at hand. There was an enormous task, and so they formed a human partnership, and they worked together. They were given all of these roles together. Man, that's something that a lot of us, we see value in that. Even today, I'll tell you, a lot of us are headed towards marriage. 95% of us, just statistically speaking, are going to be married at some point. And man, when you get married, that is a beautiful relationship. Not just in the sense that you have someone to talk to and go to brunch with and, I don't know, people watch with. That's good. Those are great, right? Those are good perks. But when you have that spouse, when you have that special relationship, you get more done. It's amazing. You can work alongside of each other. You always have someone in your corner who's always there to help, who's always there to work with you to accomplish those goals, to accomplish those tasks. It's beautiful. And it started in Eden between Adam and Eve. They were co-workers. They had a human partnership. They didn't just partner with each other, though. They also partnered with God. They had a divine partnership for their work where they were in community with them. He would walk in the cool of the day in the garden with them. They would, they would commune. They would talk. They would, they would share a lot of these responsibilities. God said, I want you to do these things, but hey, I'm, I'm still around, right? If you have questions, you're like, what's that? I'll be like, it's an aardvark. Well, I guess Adam named everything, but, you know, anyway. What do I feed aardvarks? Uh, fruit? I don't know. Man, this, that went downhill. But we... <laughs> They got to work not only with each other, but they also worked in partnership with God. They had a human partnership, and they had a divine partnership. And this is something that we need to realize started out in work because it's something that should carry in to our modern work. 
Tom Nelson, a great pastor and author that works up at Denton Bible Church up in Denton, Texas, says, wrote a book on work. Work matters. And he says in it, he says, being made in God's image, we have been designed to work to be fellow workers with God. To be an image bearer is to be a worker. In our work, we are to show off God's excellence, creativity, and glory to the world. We work because we bear the image of the one who works. Even now, to this day, we recognize, believers recognize, non-believers can recognize that a person thrives and a person finds fulfillment and joy when their days are full and diverse and include fellow laborers. We see this day in, day out, that we thrive, we're at our best, we find our joy and fulfillment when our days are full and diverse and include other laborers. Anyone who's worked in retail or service at all knows, oh my gosh, I want that day to be full. Why? Because otherwise you're just standing there at Aeropostale and you're like, I guess, I guess I'll just fold this shirt again. <laughs> And over and over and over again, you're staying in the checkout line at HUB, and you're like, okay, well, no one's here, so I guess I'll just, I don't know what you do. Stand there? I don't know. I polish the belt? I don't know. You don't have anything to do. And that's painful, man. If you're working in a restaurant, in a store, retail service, anything like that, you know you want your day to be full. You don't like it when it's just empty and boring and meaningless. You want there to be a fullness to your work. You want there to be a fullness to your day. We all recognize we want the diversity in our jobs. I mean, it's tough. I worked on campus for a couple years when I was in, at A&M, and I worked in the computer lab, the West Campus Computer Lab, and I was one of the print, print monkeys. That's what I did, is I just, people would print things, it would have their like crazy username on top, or their UID or whatever, and I would take it and I'd put it in the slot that was matched it alphabetically. And I would do that for hours a day. Hours and hours and hours, 30-something hours a week. I would just go, put it in the box, and then go, put it in the box. And man, if I wasn't crazy before that moment, I tell you, <laughs> I'm there now. Because that can break a person. <laughs> That can break you down to your, your basic components. And it doesn't often build you back up. I'm there now. I think I've recovered. But, man, it's tough because we want diversity in our jobs. Man, menial labor, the, the factory workers who just put the same thing together over and over and over again, that can break you. Man, that can drive you nuts. We want diversity in our jobs. And, and thankfully, a lot of times, man, people find diversity, even in something that you maybe think is like, oh, I do the same thing over and over again. Other people who are actually designed for that work find diversity in it. I have multiple friends who've worked in like corporate accounting, something that I started off, where I started in business, started in accounting, and I was like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> Spreadsheets, no. And yet my friends that work in it, man, they love it. They're like, oh my gosh, though. All the tax laws, so fun. I'm like, oh, I don't get it. Some of you, though, right now you're like, that's right, those tax laws. Have you seen 2016? Oh, my gosh. Like, it's nuts. <laughs> if you're designed for it, you find the diversity, and it's a beautiful thing. We want fullness. We want diversity. We want co-laborers. Every job is better with a co-worker, generally speaking. Right? There's exceptions to every rule, but, but generally, co-workers, they, they bring life and joy. If you're a teacher, you move beyond this, and you go teach somewhere, Man, you, you, will, you will love 
that teacher's lounge, right? You will love that off period. You'll love those days where you get to meet with your team of other teachers. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what did he stick up his nose this week? Oh, okay. <laughs> right? You get to kind of share the burden. And, and you have these people that are on your side that you're working with, that you're, you're, you're together, you're co-laborers seeking after a common goal. It's something that we see in our world today. Not always, but sometimes. And when we catch that glimpse, I'm telling you, what we're seeing is just the briefest picture, just the slightest shadow of what God designed work to be. Something that's full and diverse. Something that includes community. That's why God himself, when he created the earth, we see the Trinity at work. It's not just God the Father saying things. We see the Spirit come and hover over the waters. We see the Lord working in community to accomplish his own task. Man, that's, that's what we're designed for. That's how God made work to be. And then when we have those components, when those things come together, what's beautiful is that work almost doesn't feel like work. Or work doesn't feel like a burden. Instead, work becomes a joy. What we see, Tim Keller wrote the book, Every Good Endeavor, that we're we're leaning heavily upon for this series. He says, in the beginning, then God worked. He says, work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. You look at any other creation account, You look at any other kind of worldview, any other religious view of the world, man, I'll tell you, every single time, work is not a joy. Work is not something good. And work is not something for the deity, for the God. You look at other creation accounts, most of them are the world was created out of like battle and turmoil, out of strife. Uh, Sometimes the world was created uh, so that the gods wouldn't have to do all these things, so they just kind of made people to, to accomplish their tasks for them. Christianity alone looks at creation and says, yeah, that work was good. And our God loved it. Our God worked and created for the joy of work. And that's what we're focusing on next week. We're looking at the dignity that can be found in our work when we work as God worked in this way that's full and diverse, that's full of co-laborers, in a way that we are creating and cultivating things around us. It's beautiful. I'm really excited But this next week as we focus on that. So we don't only see in Scripture that our work was meant to be beautiful. What we also see is that it was meant to be balanced. Okay, I was reading earlier this week in Proverbs for one of my classes, uh, and I came across this just, just beauty, beauty of a proverb. When you find honey, eat only what is sufficient for you, lest you become stuffed with it and vomit it up. <laughs> Solid. Solid life advice. Put that on a bumper sticker and wear it on your shirt because that is solid, right? And it's not just warning us about the dangers of excessive honey consumption, right? That's probably a thing, I'm sure. It probably plays out on a lot, probably works on a lot of levels. Uh, But the meaning behind this, right? If we kind of pull back, we look at, well, what's sort of the principle in this? It is it's telling us, Scripture is telling us that too much good is never best. Too much of a good thing is never best. We see this. We kind of know this. This is almost a, a culturally adopted idea. We recognize that people don't thrive 
in the absence of boundaries. If everyone just could do whatever they wanted all the time, whenever they wanted, however they wanted to do it, people don't thrive in that environment. True freedom, true, true joy isn't found in the absence of boundaries. Instead, what we find is that as people, we thrive in the understanding and acceptance of boundaries, of understanding how does our world work and how do I fit within it. That's where we thrive. Classic example of this is uh, you look at a fish and it's swimming around the pond, and you're like, hey there, Goldie, and you grab Goldie, that's the fish's name now, and you... Tell Goldie, hey, Goldie, you're stuck in that pond. Man, there's so much world out there. I want you to thrive, Goldie. I want you to live your life. Go live it. What happens to Goldie? Yeah, he dies. He's dead. Fish don't live outside of water. You freed him from his boundaries, and yet that's kind of where he needed to be, right? That's where he needed to thrive. My daughter, Charlotte, is 13 months old. She's wonderful. I love her. And she has certain boundaries in her life. Uh, she, uh, one of her boundaries is she puts her hands on her head. I don't know, remember why I used this, but uh, we, she has boundaries. And so let's say, for example, in this picture, she is standing on the floor, all right? And that's where she spends a lot of her time. A lot of her days are spent on the floor, uh, crawling around on the floor. She's not walking quite yet. She can stand and take some steps, but so most of her time she's spent on the floor. That's a place where she goes and, and a place where, honestly, she thrives. She's crawling around. She's doing stuff, playing with the games. That's awesome. So if I looked at Charlotte and I told her, Charlotte, I picked her up. I said, girl, you've been on that floor all day. I want you to thrive, right? I want you to be free. I want you to live your life, Charlotte. So Go live, right? Like if I just did that, Charlotte would be (laughs) injured. She'd be very hurt emotionally and physically by that moment. Why? Because I'm not, if I'm releasing her from just all boundaries, I mean, that's not good for her. She's not going to thrive in that environment. That's not true freedom. We need to understand our boundaries. We need to understand the rules of our existence, the laws of our universe. We want to understand how we fit within them. We need boundaries. We need work to be balanced. If we have just nothing but rest and no work, we don't thrive. If we have nothing but work with no rest, we don't thrive. Work is good and rest is good. And so our lives need to have both of them in balance. That's what we see in Exodus 20. God is giving his law to the Israelites. This is part of the Ten Commandments, kind of our most uh, famous, our most well-known of of the laws that God gave to his nation Israel to help them thrive, to help them flourish, to help them live in ways that will bring blessing upon themselves. It was a gracious gift, that law. It wasn't something that was boxing them in and, and hurting them in some way and constraining them. No, he was just saying, this is how the world works. This is how you can fit within it. This is the boundaries that are, that are there around you, that if you understand and accept, you'll flourish, you'll thrive. You'll find joy in fulfilling this law. He says, remember the Sabbath day. Set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. In other words, nobody works. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. God's just repeating his language from Genesis 2, right? We've already read this. 
And God's saying, look, this is something that I did, and this is something I want you to do. I've demonstrated, I've modeled this balance of work and rest. And I want you to follow that. God could do whatever he wants. He could work all day, every day. He could, he could have rested all day, every day. It doesn't matter. But he says, I modeled this for you. I demonstrated this way of life for you. In six days, he worked. And on the seventh day, he rested. He had balance. And what's interesting is that a lot of times we look at this commandment, we're like, yeah, so get your Sabbath. Right? And that's how we preach it. That's how we teach it. That's how we understand it a lot of times, how we look at it. We say, like, yeah, Sabbath. Don't forget that Sabbath. Okay, okay. When's your Sabbath? When's your Sabbath? Tuesday? Okay. Good to know. But we fail to notice this commandment isn't just about resting. This commandment is about working. Right? This commandment doesn't just say, hey, make sure you rest every once in a while. Make sure you take a Sabbath every seven days. It says, hey, remember, you're working the other six days. For that one you rest, you're working for six. In other words, we see the Lord commanding the nation of Israel, I want you to be productive. Now, do we hold to, do I think that you absolutely have to have this like absolute day, like, okay, Monday through, uh, or Sunday through Friday is work and Saturday is rest, as the ancient Jews did? No, I I think we've been, we're freed from that a little bit. Jesus Christ spoke on that, said, no, you know, there's there's some wiggle room in there. Don't Don't be crazy about it. But the principle remains that there's, there's balance to be found in our lives. There's balance that should be aspired to in our lives between work and rest. That's why Ben Witherton, or Witherington, sorry, uh, pastor, scholars up north, uh, he says, it's perfectly clear that God's good plan always included human beings working. Or, more specifically, living in the constant cycle of work and rest. Work and rest, work and rest. I mean, a lot of us, we're in that cycle. And some of us, we feel like we're in a good spot. But some of us, if we're being really honest, we're leaning a little heavy towards one or the other. And I think for everyone, it's going to be a little bit different, right? But I think the principle that we see here is work is definitely more, right? Like, that's very obvious. So if you're like, well, you know, I have class like two days. That's a lot. Okay, you know, that's, we can ensure that is hard. And maybe, you know, maybe there's work outside of those classes. But, you know, you know, you know that there's a balance to be found. And you know if you're leaning more towards one way or the other. There should be a balance. There should be a cycle that we're, we're working and we're also resting. And, and we should notice that when we rest, it's not just a mindless rest. When we see God resting in Genesis 1, we see God resting in Genesis 2, we don't just see him resting in a, in a mindless and thoughtless manner. Instead, when he rests... He looks at creation. He says, man, this is good. Day by day by day, he looks at creation and says, what I made today is good. It's beautiful. He's celebrating creation. He's thinking about creation. He's thinking about his work. And he's appreciating it. He says, man, this is, this is a good thing. My rest is engaging my mind on some level. Summed up well, Nope. Okay. Well, it's summed up well by a pastor, uh, by an old uh, philosopher named Joseph Piper, uh, and he talks about this idea. He talks about how uh, our work, or sorry, our rest is something that engages the mind. Our work is not, or sorry, our rest is not merely the absence of activity. Instead, our rest is something that, that engages us 
just on a different level. We need to have thoughtful rest to thrive. We've seen this, right? Even in, we just had Christmas break. We've got like a month off. And man, we've all been there where we're like, we're resting. We're like, I don't want to do anything at all. Like, don't talk to me. Don't text me. Don't try to feed me food. I'm just going to lay there and be in a coma for three weeks. Right? We've tried it. Some of us have been there. Uh, but the truth is, is that in those moments, in those breaks, what we'll find, what you'll find, I promise, if you try it out, is that if there is actual talking or, or, or movement or if there's thinking or, or creating or, or honestly anything more than just like all nine seasons of The Office, let's go. <laughs> if there's something else there, if there's something that engages you, it's more restful. It really is. It's more restful. You walk out of that as a, as a more refreshed person. Even those of us that maybe like done it for a while, we're like, no, I can totally get it. Man, I promise you, everyone, everyone has their moment. Everyone has their breaking point where they realize, oh my gosh, I feel like a horror, a horror monster. I need to shower because it's been a long time. Like we've gotten to that moment where everyone kind of reaches that point where like, I don't want to be idle anymore. You go and talk to people that have retired Man, I'll tell you, time and again, you talk to people that are retired or in nursing homes, many times their complaint, their, their struggle in life is that they don't have anything to do. That's what you'll hear over and over and over again. You say, man, I just don't have anything to do. I don't know how to stay busy. I don't know how to use my time. Why? Because we were made to have a balance of work and rest. We're not designed to be all one or the other. Jesus Christ himself took time to rest from his work. Jesus Christ, God who took on flesh. Jesus Christ who stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for our sake. Jesus Christ who had arguably the most important job of all time took breaks. He took time to rest. He took time to pull away. And in those moments, he didn't just go and be like, dude, I'm going to go watch rock flicks where you arrange rocks and stare at them. He says, I'm not going to do that. When I pull away from other people, I'm going to spend that time in, in prayer or in contemplation. I'm going to spend that time with my disciples and have a meal with them, share fellowship with them. I'm going to take time to go and hang out with some kids, just play with them, laugh with them. Jesus took time to rest, but it was thoughtful. It was engaging. And in doing so, it was more restful. There's a balance that we need to find. We've seen it in the Lord. We've seen it in Christ. We see it in the world around us. So look for it. I challenge you this week as you look at it, maybe, maybe even just map out your week. Maybe even just write it all down on your computer, on paper, whatever it is. Look at your week and really be honest with yourself about how much time you spend on whatever project or for whatever class. Just map it out and look at it. And ask yourself, is there balance on this page? Do I see balance in my week between work and rest? The rest that I'm doing, is it really restful? Is it really restful for me to go to that guy's house and, or, you know, to my friend's house and do those things that we do every single week, every Thursday night or whatever? Is it really restful to do that? Or, or maybe this week, could I just be alone? Or maybe this week, could I just read a book or whatever it is? Is there need, does there need to be a balance there? Do I really need to go and make sure I study another seven hours for that quiz that's 0.5% of my grade? 
Or should I maybe ease off on that a little bit? Should I use some of that time to study for a different class or some of that time to spend with a friend or, or spend some of that time t- calling someone up on the phone? What, what does that week look like? Where can balance be found? I'd encourage you, look at that. Because again, Jesus Christ <laughs> rested. Jesus Christ needed balance. God who took on flesh, who lived and died and rose again for us so that anyone who would call on his name might be saved, he rested. So look for that balance in your life. Our work should be beautiful. It should be balanced. And ultimately, it should bring glory to God. That's why we see in Colossians 3 that Paul is telling the church, he's telling believers, he says, whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord, not for the men. And generally, we don't use the term heartily. We're not like, hey, let's go to that game and cheer heartily. Right? It's not a thing that rolls off the tongue quite naturally these days. But what Paul is saying is literally, right here in the Greek, what he's literally saying is work as out of your soul, out of the soul, I want you to work. In other words, you're, you're putting your entire being into this. You, you are pouring yourself fully into this work. You are dedicating your entirety to this task, to this goal. Because you're working for who? Not that supervisor, not that boss, not that instructor, not that professor, not that teacher. You're working for the Lord. Our lives should point to God, right? That's something that believers accept. Believers say, you know what? I'm a sinful being. I'm broken. I have to place my faith in Jesus Christ to be forgiven, to have eternal life. As a believer, just by definition, that's what believers hold to. That's what Christians hold to. But we also have the fact that, you know what? And once I'm saved, I'm adopted into this family of God. That salvation is secure. Nothing will snatch me out of Jesus' hands. And God wants me to live differently, right? He wants me to be a light to the world. He wants me to obey his commandments. He wants me to love him. He wants me to love his people. Why? Because that way my life points to him. Paul says, yeah, that's true of your life. That's true of your interpersonal interactions. It's also true of your work. He says your work points to God. So give it your all. See it as your ministry. See it as your opportunity to offer yourself to the Lord. Tom Nelson puts it like this. He says, properly understood, our work is to be thoughtfully woven into the integral fabric of Christian vocation. For God designed and intended our work, our vocational calling, to be an act of God-honoring worship. Man, that is beautiful. It's beautiful. That God designed us in such a way, he designed the world to function in such a way that our work, that the place where we spend a lot of our lives is not just wasted time. It's not just an opportunity to make money to give to the church. It's not just an opportunity to evangelize people, to bring them to church, right? We talked about that last week. It's an opportunity to offer worship to the Lord. Work is a way that we can offer ourselves to the God daily. And it's, it's awesome. That's why Keller sums it up saying, work is also one of the ways we discover who we are. It says, because it is through work that we come to understand our distinct abilities and gifts, a major component of our identities. If we want to make our best offering to the Lord, if we want to present ourselves the best, if we want to present him with the best worship that we can, then we want to be somewhere that we're designed to be, right? We want to be somewhere that we can thrive, somewhere where we find diversity. I don't find diversity in spreadsheets. I don't find fullness in folding shirts, but other people might. Other people do. 
And it's only by trying those things that we can discover how am I wired? How am I designed? Where do I fit? So Keller says what we need to understand is that, man, work is wonderful for that. It's wonderful in discovering who we are as people so that we can present better offerings to the Lord. Work is a way that we find our gifting for the sake of a better offering. That's why I'd encourage you to take this time, especially now at this stage where just the world is open to you. You've got so many opportunities, so much uh, just uh, open potential before you to try stuff out. To go be an impact counselor. Be a fish camp counselor. The apps are out. Never thought about, well, what does it look like to kind of manage a team, right? That's not just, you don't just do that if you're like, I want to be in ministry with freshmen forever. Like, that's not necessarily what you're trying out. What you're trying out is you're working on a team to accomplish a goal. You're looking at team dynamics. You're figuring out how do we kind of communicate a vision? How do we cast a vision to people? These are very just broadly reaching applicable skills. You're working at a counselor at Impact, counselor at Fish Camp a place that, that needs believers to go and cast a vision that maybe is a little bit different than what's generally cast. Try it out. Give it a shot. It's a couple weeks. Maybe you need to try out something else we just he, even have here at Grace is, is children's ministry. I mean, our, our children's ministry is always in need of, of more workers, more people who are saying, you know what, I'm going to give a couple hours and I'm just going to love people's kids. I'll tell you, when you do that, you're not just loving those kids. You're loving that family really well. As a young family, I will tell you, you are my favorite when you love my daughter and you take care of her. Man, I, I love the people that love my child. It's a great way to serve. And maybe you never tried it. That's okay. Give it a shot. Right now, even, they have a need Wednesday mornings for like three or four hours. They have women's Bible studies. They need people. It's a paid position. You just come in three or four hours or something like that. On Wednesday mornings, you come in, you work. Maybe you've never done it before. Try it out. See, man, is this something that God's designed me for? Something like teaching. Again, you're using skills of, okay, managing a crazy team, right? Like I'm managing people that are insane, constantly. I'm trying to, you know, accomplish goals. I'm trying to accomplish tasks with lots of distractions and lots of issues that are constantly arise. I'm putting out a lot of fires. Sometimes literally. Fires. Not really. Probably. Uh, but you are trying something out because in that way you discover more about yourself. You get to see, man, this is where I'm going. And there's so many opportunities at Grace. There's so many opportunities outside of Grace. I encourage you, if, you have, if you're interested in either of those things, in any of the stuff here, come to the back counter at the end. Let us know what you're interested in. We'll, we'll write your name down. I forgot to get official sign-up sheets, but you can just tell us your name. We'll write it on a howdy card. If you're interested in any way to get plugged in here or in our community, we have teams that are designed to reach our community at large, to work in new and different ways outside of the church. Try it out. We have work projects where you just go and do some manual labor. You work on a team to accomplish a task. Try it out. We have a community outreach team that goes and, and, and provides help to people in need in lots of different areas. Try it out. Let us know what you're interested in. Fill out the howdy card that's in your seat or at your feet. Fill it out. Give us your contact info. Turn it in the back, and we'll, we'll contact you, and we'll answer those questions for you. Work is not just something that needs to get done. Work is a beautiful opportunity to present worship to our God. 
It's something that's beautiful. It's something that should be balanced. And it's something that will bring glory to God if we work well. So as we begin to worship, as we sing a few more songs and just praise God for the opportunity to work, for the opportunity to worship him, I mean, I would encourage you to just take a moment and think about, I mean, where is the Lord calling me to work? Where has he placed me this semester? It could be really different from last semester. It could be really different from last year. It could be the exact same spot and you just, you haven't had your eyes open. But let's take a moment, go before the Lord, ask him to reveal to us, to, to draw to our minds, this is a place where we can worship him. This is a place where we can bring beauty. This is a place where maybe we need better balance, but regardless, it's a place where we can bring him glory. So let's go to him now. Lord, we, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity, God, to, to work. That, God, you've given us an opportunity to glorify you in our daily lives. Well, that, that's a, a, a cool thing that just other people don't have. Lord, the world around us doesn't have that. They don't have that calling that's outside of themselves. Lord, we thank you that you've given that to your people. It's a beautiful gift. If you would take a moment now and, and ask the Lord to show you where... Where has he given you the gift of work? Where has he given you the opportunity to to bring beauty to this world, to, to find balance and demonstrate and model good balance to the world around you? Where has he given you opportunity to bring glory ultimately to himself as you work out of your soul to accomplish the task in front of you? Ask him that now.